Divine Truth Book Group. These are discussions of books selected by Jesus and Mary. This book group discusses Through the Mists by Ephra and Robert James Lees. This is Chapter 20, Beulah Land. Hosts of this discussion are Mary and Jesus. The discussion was held on the 20th of June 2014 in Wilsdale, Queensland, Australia. Hi, everyone. Today we are discussing Chapter 20 of Through the Mists. It's called Beulah Land, and I'm here with Jesus again. I feel happy yeah. about that. Good day, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> we both really love this chapter, so we're going to talk through it with you. And, um, yeah, ready to go? Yeah, yep. definitely. So perhaps if I just summarise... Um, where, where we left off last time yeah. and a little bit of what happens in this chapter and then we can go through and talk about it in detail. Yes. yes. So if you recall, uh, Fred had been taken by Mahanine and witnessed this very beautiful ceremony of people making progression in the spirit world. Mm. And r this chapter begins just as that um, gathering has broken up and Fred has some more reflections about that. And then he goes on a bit of a journey or an adventure with Mahanin to discover some of the higher um, realms or places that it's possible to go to in the spirit world. Mm. So, yeah. yeah, let's get going. Yeah. So if we... Um, Lots of very important truths in this chapter. So much. And for a seemingly short chapter, I've written a lot of notes. So... Mm. Mm. <laughs> um, Perhaps if we just start in the first paragraph of the chapter sure. where Fred is observing how these people behave after the, after the ceremony has broken up. Sure. He said... Just, um, can we just pause? Yep. So sorry, where were you? <laughs> I thought we could look at the description that Fred gives of what's what he observes as the group is breaking up. Yes. Because perhaps if we just read that part, would you like to read that Sure, part? which part are you referring so to? So just from instead, after the dash there. Instead of giving expression to useless regrets and disagreements with the selection made, as is so generally the custom on earth, rather than that they embraced, congratulated and rejoiced with each other that they had been permitted to partake of the pleasures I had witnessed. Mm. So there we see that people are not jealous. They're not feeling a sense of competition. Mm. They're simply happy that they got to take part. And I suppose you and I have had some discussions about how, how indeed this is a big contrast to what happens on Earth. Sure, it sure is. Whenever anybody on Earth tends to be successful in any way, or enjoy some special privilege or, or situation that others have not enjoyed, there is generally a lot of very negative emotions projected at that person. Now, the negative emotions generally are projected in two different directions. One direction is that many people want to hang off the coattails, if you like, of the person. In other words, they want to share the experience somehow without doing the work involved mm -hmm. to get the experience happening. And that, that in itself is quite unloving because it detracts the, from the person's personal experience about the fact that they have achieved what they've achieved through their own effort. Yep. And then there's this other side where 
because most people on earth also feel quite jealous and quite in competition with, the, with other people and particularly in competition and jealous of people who are seemingly successful or having spe- specific success in some degree or another in some area of expertise, then a lot of people want to attack them and, and denigrate them, pull them down and do all sorts of things with them. And, and none of those things happen in this location in the spirit world, which is, the, in the, like I said, the second sphere of the spirit world. Everyone starts sharing the experience. They share in the experience from a personal experience in the sense that they enjoy the experience. But they're also not feeling like, oh, it should have been me and it wasn't mm. them and, you know, they're all the, and, and it, should have been, it should have been me because, you know, of all the reasons why they believe that it should have been them. And, and they then try to attempt to pull down and attack other people. Of course, there's one reason, main reason why that happens and that is that, that they know that God's rules or God's laws have been the selector. Yeah. And as a result, um, they know they can't dispute those particular rules or laws. But it seems to be more than that, doesn't it? It's also that they they sort of respect God's laws and they have a love towards it as well, don't they? Mm. It's not just like, oh, well, what can I do? It's, oh, I'm governed by a system that's really loving and beautiful, yeah. seemingly in the way it's described. That's yes. how they feel. Yeah. So there's not even a sense of suppressing some feeling of being slighted or overlooked yeah yeah so uh, what we see on earth in contrast is often uh, you know the petty jealousies and 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 particular personal emotional issues that people have of competition of feeling like they deserve something that they didn't receive and all of those kind of things all start coming to the fore Mm. and so when someone has some success unfortunately others have a tendency to either pull them down or try to run with their success without actually doing the personal work Doing involved. the personal work. Yeah, it's kind no. of um, reassuring that that can't happen no. where love rules and each yeah. person. It's, again, our understanding that our will and our progress is definitely under our control, hey, yes. so yeah. that there's no way of tricking the system yeah. and there's no tolerance for emotions that are not, loving or not productive. Yeah. I think the other thing too, though, is, is it, it's really beautiful sh- um, being happy about the success yeah. of other people. Yeah. Uh, there's very few people on earth who actually are happy about the success of other people. Mm. And yet my, my feelings are that the success of other people usually also means that um, there's a, share of, a sharing of success. And, and that's not something we often see either on earth where... Most people on earth, don't, they, they want to ho- hold on to their own successes. Mm. They don't want to share their own successes. But also if, if other people have been successful, they have a tendency, again, to pull them down or denigrate them because they, and they don't ever have this feeling inside of them as, I'm really happy that that <laughs> happened for you, you know. And, and I know that it can also happen for me if I do the same things that you did or take, do the same work that you did. And then I know that it can happen for me. But there's very little of that kind of attitude yep. on, on earth, unfortunately. Do you, think, sorry, mm. uh, do you think that is because so many people don't have that feeling that what that person's done is possible for me? I think there's a lot of reasons. Mm-hmm. If you analyse psychologically what the reasons are, 
you'll find that it always goes back to the person's childhood and their childhood experience of how they were allowed to grow or not. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately for most people, they were severely restricted. Parents often shared in the successes of their children while at the same time denigrating them the rest of the time. For their apparent failures. For their apparent failures. And, And also many times parents actually embrace the success of their children without actually giving the children the, the glory or, or the honour of that success. Yeah. And so most people have this feeling that it's going to be taken away from them. Mm-hmm. Hence, they have a lot of different emotions <laughs> about other people's success. Yeah. Then there's also the issues personally that most people have emotionally about success generally. Mm-hmm. There is usually in a person's childhood whenever the parent has observed the success of another person, the parent generally denigrates the person, pulls them down, criticises them and so forth, right, in terms of their own competition feelings that they have towards the other person. But the child, through that behaviour, learns what is the appropriate, from the parent's perspective, behaviour of how to treat another person who's been successful, yeah. which is basically to, to knock them about a bit and, mm. and not actually to honour their success. Now, of course, in different societies, it's also different. So here in Australia, it's a big problem with regard to one side, which is the side of trying to pull down other people. You know, the tall poppy syndrome yep. is well alive and well here in Australia. But in somewhere like the USA, for example, you have almost sometimes the opposite thing where, where you have people trying to ride the success of others yes. rather than having to do the work themselves. Yeah. And so you see different cultures have different problems with this particular issues, all related to different emotions that they have. Mm. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it's very interesting and it's lovely to have a demonstration of how it can be. Yes, yeah. And not only a demonstration of how it can be, but... Um, I feel the language that he's using in the paragraph is is trying to help people understand why wouldn't you feel that way about somebody? <laughs> yes. <laughs> rather than like rather than like, why would why would you ever be happy about somebody else's <laughs> success, which is pretty much how it is here on earth generally. And hmm. um, in the spirit world it's more like why wouldn't you be happy with other people's success? Yeah. And uh, and I feel quite strongly that you know by the time a person reaches this particular place in the spirit world, they're already generating that kind of happiness about other people's success. And I suppose that's what we're seeing is that this condition, even though it's in the second sphere, there's a lot of love. um, There's a lot of people guided by the love that's already within them, if we could say it that way. And it's quite in contrast to what we see on earth, which gives us another indication of the condition that exists on earth yes. at the moment. Yeah. yeah. And also with success on earth, um, there is this constant thing with regard to success on earth where there is a feeling that somehow we're not sharing in the success of others, but, but it's not real mm-hmm. because the reality is most people who are successful here on earth do eventually share that success with others through some growth. Yes. And, and even if that growth is only financial or, or business or something like that, it, they still are sh- sharing their success in some way. And in the spirit world, there's more of a knowledge of that, that every single person who grows beyond where I am is going to be able to help me grow to the same location. Yes. So, so there is also the full awareness of the fact that there is a personal advantage of, uh, 
for, for sharing in the success or, or for being joyful about the success, about the success. of other people. Yeah. Mm. It's very true what you say that when people succeeded in something on earth, like it can affect so many benefit us in so many ways in terms of knowledge change in lifestyle even medicine all kinds of things are affected yeah through that yeah yeah Yeah. all right there's another thing that fred observes about this in these people who have been left behind and he says um that they had all been benefited and elevated by the service. Mm-hmm. Every soul had been drawn nearer and further prepared for the change which must ultimately come to them all. Mm. If they had not yet reached the standard, they had grown towards it. If in the sanctuary of silence they had not actually heard the voice of the omnipotent, they had at least listened to the awful hush which precedes sound. Mm. Therefore, they were stronger, holier, happier for the experience they had shared while they returned homeward filled with a hope in which there was no room for disappointment. Yeah. Yeah. So you can see there that they believed that they themselves would also be able to obtain the same condition. Mm -hmm. And this is, I think, partly what causes some of our problems on earth, isn't it, that most people don't, because of their childhoods and emotional background, they don't have very much uh, confidence or hope that they can achieve the same condition as other people that they see being successful. And hence there's a higher likelihood then of them trying to pull down the other person to bring them back to where they are rather than allow that person to go ahead and then look at what they're doing, observe what they're doing and then try to apply that in their own lives. Yeah, and that's one of the themes that I've highlighted um, about this chapter around the issue of aspiration and how um, experiences that um, in, encourage our faith and grow our faith lead us to have higher aspirations. Mm. And some of the experiences that Fred has with my honey in this chapter, he specifically says to you, I want to, it says to him, I want to do this with you so as to foster your aspirations. Mm. And if anyone would like to look at more in more depth than even our discussion, there is an outline with some personal reflection questions that is on our website corresponding to each chapter. So if you would like to look at mm. it even more in depth, mm. but um, yeah, and I suppose this brings up a good point too with regard to the difference between hope and aspiration. Yes. Now, I feel hope is a part of aspiration, but unfortunately most people on earth have a tendency to hope for things that are not actually real mm-hmm. or hope for things that, that can never happen or hope for things that can't be true ever. And, and these kind of hopes are pointless aspirations. Yes. And in fact, they're not real aspiration. Real aspiration is based, based upon evidence or reality. Yeah. So knowing or seeing that a person can get there. So, so in this regard here, what, what Fred was shown was actual people actually progressing yeah. and actually moving from one sphere to another sphere. And then this allowed Fred to feel like, wow, you know, I can do that. I can do that same thing. Whereas what we see happening a lot of the times is that people on earth have a hope that they can achieve certain things, but there is no proof or, or, mm-hmm. or fact involved in any of it. Yep. And so but this is a very different quality. The aspiration is all about truth and faith. Yes. Whereas hope 
is often about a, a figments of our own imagination <laughs> and has no relevance to truth, faith or any other reality. And, uh, do you think hope is more involved in experimenting? The experimentation we have to have before our faith can grow. Sure, I feel yeah. the hope is not an unnecessary quality. It definitely yeah. is something that is necessary. But we need to understand that hope based on false things uh, is, is a pointless hope. And we need to understand that true aspiration, which is a hope based on truth, is actually always going to give us some kind of firm thing to point at ourselves into the future for. Yeah. So I feel it's very, very powerful if we allow that particular thing to, ha- to gel in a- inside of us rather than go, oh, well, I've got all these hopes, you know, isn't this wonderful, <laughs> when most of our hopes are actually false and can never occur <laughs> and God's laws would never allow them to occur. That's a fairly pointless sort of a hope that yes. we could have. Yeah, sort yeah. of like hoping for the sky to be yellow. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Never going to happen no. on this planet, <laughs> given the atmosphere. <laughs> um, and some of the questions, the personal reflection questions that I've put in the outline, relate to um, encouraging people to, because I know for myself something that I've often done is ignored the truth around me that could have led to an improvement in my faith. Mm. Um, and often there are many things happening around us that could actually grow our faith, but we ignore them. Yes, yes. Uh, so a lot of people, uh, I feel, feel very comfortable saying, oh, it's hopeless and there is nothing, to, because it, it shifts us away from aspiration and acting and all of these and things. responsibility that, and all yeah. sorts of qualities that it shifts us away from. Yeah. But I think it also is a bit cool, isn't it, nowadays yeah, to be to almost be cynical, cynical and, and hopeless. Yes. Like, you say, like most people on the planet seem to have this, con- this concept that, oh, I'm cool because I don't believe in anything type of thing. <laughs> Everything's corrupt and it's all bad. And yeah. it's, it's a way of appearing like I'm in touch with reality and yeah. I'm worldly. And, and you know, this is I not know reality. It's not. It's not reality. No. No. And, and every single person who's really in touch with God or has a lot of positive feelings, yeah. they, don't, they, they are not pessimistic. They are optimistic yeah. because they know God. God God has a lot of love, an infinite amount of love to give and an infinite amount of gifts to give us. Yeah. And if you look at all of God's creation on the earth, you can see the abundance. And this is something that's brought out later in the chapter. Yeah. You can see the abundance. And so there should be some confidence, at least, if you're growing towards God, that actually you will be given everything in the end that, that you can imagine and more. You know, yeah. And we can talk about yeah. that when we discuss yeah. those particular things. But... I feel this hopeless feeling that is really prevalent on on the earth is often associated with being cool and acceptable, <laughs> and it may may be cool and acceptable on earth in the sense that that's where everybody is. They don't, and also I feel they're there because they don't want to feel certain emotions that I things agree. are hopeless. So what they do is they sort of almost have a reveling feeling about it or a what, nostalgic, romanticised feeling yeah. about isn't everything hopeless and, and it's not true at all. And we've mm-hmm. got to be very careful that we're not shutting down large groups of emotions by romanticising hopelessness. I couldn't agree with you more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know that in avoidance of fear, I've gone to places of extreme hopelessness mm-hmm. and then lived in them and didn't want to feel any of them. Mm. And all of that prevented me from reaching out towards God. Yeah. And and also wasn't... accepting some truth and accepting that you had to act on something and accepting personal, personal responsibility. Personal responsibility for yeah. my will, that all whole sorts of thing. Yeah. And 
just to be encouraging about that, if we can soften to the hopeless feelings, mm-hmm. which I have done many times, and then open up to God and forge that first connection with God, receiving God's love fills you with these feelings of that there is hope, there is abundance, there is yeah. like change is possible, yes. all of these things. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, which is what all of these people felt. Yes. Yeah. And I suppose just... Um, Again, on that issue where Fred's making the observation that these people were changed even just by participating, Mm -hmm. I thought there was a point to be made there about the power of our longing and our aspiration and our desire and it Mm. opening our heart. And even that act, it does help our growth, Mm. even if we're not yet in the condition as these people who were left behind. We're not to make another step. We didn't have that much love in us to make that next step in progression. Just the opening changes us. And you can see an example of that in the next few paragraphs, can't you? Because basically Fred's now or Afra's now going and saying, who was that guy? Who was that guy? (laughs) (laughs) That real bright guy who led the ceremony. What does his home look like? And it brought up a lot of questions for him by by attending the ceremony, not only questions about himself personally, the reflections that he has of the differences between the earth state and the spirit world state, but also in this case he's now going, wow, you know, who's he like? What's he like? I don't don't know about him. And he starts asking questions about him, of course. Mm -hmm. And this is the beautiful thing about I feel the way God's created the universe and he's even created this on earth because every child has that. This childlike curiosity to understand and know your environment and and know what's going on inside, Mm -hmm. you know, in terms of your interactions and with people. And this this very childlike state is usually suppressed heavily by most adults while they're bringing up their children. And the main reason why it's suppressed heavily because most of the adults don't know the answers. Yeah. <laughs> so they, they or, can't. Or they want to deny the truth that's in their life. Yeah, or they, they believe something is completely false and so they're not yeah. enthusiastic about the answers. And so the child's there going, why, Daddy? What's this? What's going on here? Why? Who? Why? 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 All these yeah. things. Yeah. Why? Why? Why, Daddy? And, and Daddy's going, instead of going, I don't know, maybe I should find that out. So shut up, you know, instead. <laughs> and, and unfortunately suppresses this childlike curiosity to know the truth. And, and this is something, obviously what happened with Afra when he was on earth is he spent a short amount of time really with his father. He didn't like his father very much. And so his father, even though his father wanted to suppress him heavily, um, he didn't have much ability to suppress Afra's inquisitive nature heavily. And so that meant that when he arrived in the spirit world, he had this inquisitive nature still, still there. And so when, when, when Mayanin took him to a place, Mayanin knew yep. that all there was going to be was a whole series of questions <laughs> after this. <laughs> and, and that's a really good thing. Yeah. yeah. And isn't that beautiful to think about the fact of our innate curiosity as children mm-hmm. is really an expression of our desire for truth. Mm. And I feel that you and I talk about a desire for truth a lot with other people, but bringing it back to that childlike quality of a curiosity, mm. of a desire to know and the joy that was inherent in even just the desire to know, mm. um, to me that's a really refreshing way to think about a desire for truth yeah. in, and to connect me more with it from a heart perspective. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously if people don't feel that um, sort of heartfelt 
thirst for knowledge that lots of little kids have, then obviously, as you mentioned, there's the emotions of how that was suppressed mm. to grieve through yep. and it will re-emerge. Yeah, often not just suppressed, it was often actively punished. Punished, mm. I know, yep. yes, that that happens. For most people. Yeah. 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 And so that's why when they arrive in the spirit world, they're too afraid to even ask a question, they're too afraid to even ask very basic questions yep. for, for fear of looking stupid or for fear of being humiliated or for fear yep. of, well, there's a lot of fears, isn't there, yep. if, you, if you were punished as a child. Yeah. Uh, for this kind of investigative desire, mm-hmm. then obviously you're going to have a lot of fear in your adult life about finding out and also about making mistakes. Yeah. And this is a theme that we see coming through this chapter quite a lot. <coughs> we do. Um, okay. And that's why so, I like his statement sort of um, halfway down the second page of this chapter, my soul fir- thirsts for the knowledge. Yes. But I have seen so much that I almost fear to tax my recollection farther. In other words, he's afraid now that he's going to start forgetting things as fast as he learns new things. And and yeah. still, but he said, still, uh, if you want to take me, and, <laughs> I trust you. So, so I can see where I'm going to live then. Oh, that'd be fantastic. But I don't know how I'm going to go. <laughs> how can I hold it all in? Yeah. Well, okay. Let's go to that part in the chapter because now Mahanin, in response to Fred saying that you know, how am I going to keep all this knowledge inside of me and remember it all? Mm. He says um, he says something that has some biblical references. Mm. And it perhaps if I just read that. Yeah, sure. He says, Come then with me. Every cup in heaven is filled to overflowing. You remember the promise of Christ? You must realise it here. To him that hath shall be given. Yea, even good measure pressed down and running over. Neither is there need to be any ang- to be anxious, for the overflow cannot be lost. Your memory may not recall it at once, but when the need arises, it will be forthcoming. Therefore, come on and look as far as possible along the pathway of your future unfoldment. Mm. So, so there's a lot in there. There's a lot in, in there, yeah, that one. And that one paragraph part. that most people probably skipped over quite a lot. Of <laughs> Went, oh, okay, yep, <laughs> keep going. Yeah. Well, it's easy to do that, isn't it, in these books because there's so much meaning. Uh, it's sort of heavy with meaning, every sentence. Yes, not only that, though, there's a lot of uh, surface layer meaning Yeah. and then there's also a lot of much, much deeper meaning. And yep. unfortunately, the same applies to most of the illustrations that I gave in the first century that are recorded in the Bible. There is this sort of surface layer meaning. And then there's a lot of very deep hidden meaning that I feel most Christians even now have no idea what it means. Yeah. And, and even though people who are students of the Bible still have no real idea what it means because the way of the soul is that every single thing has lots of layers yeah. generally. Yeah. And these layers of meaning... Uh, very important to grasp. You, you might have your surface layer, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, in the book, we often have a, we have this sort of surface layer, sort of the storyline, the storyline yeah. going, and then under each paragraph, there is this under this underlying layers yeah. that that most people, when they read this kind of a book, skip over completely because they're just reading a story, yeah. and, and they don't realise what's really going on in the deeper what's. Yeah. What the deeper, the pregnancy of the deeper meanings are yeah. all there in, in the in the story, but most people have a tendency to skip over them. Yeah, mm. and sometimes because they're quite emotionally challenging, the meanings. Of course, <laughs> yeah. So let's look at the, pre, the this 
the meaning of this paragraph as okay. an example. So let's break it down. Sure. Uh, come then with me. Every cup in heaven is filled to overflowing. Yes. So what do you want to say about that? Well, it's a quote of something I said, yeah. but, but the reality is most people, I don't think, understand it very much. Yeah. If, you look, if you look at the earth itself and you contrast mankind's creation, humans' creations, with God's creations, you'll see a very distinct difference between the two sorts of creations. Yes. Everything that humankind develops is limited in, its, in, in some way, it's, and often it's limited financially, but it's also limited with regard to resources. It doesn't have this ability to create itself again. Yeah. Everything that God has created uh, creates itself again if, and has huge amounts of abundance. If, if we maybe take an example of a piece of fruit, yep. for example, um, like God creates a seed which grows into a tree. The tree can have thousands of pieces of fruit. You know, there's some mango trees here in Queensland where there's like tens of thousands of pieces of fruit. Every one of those pieces of fruit has a seed. Every one of those seeds can grow into another tree with tens of thousands of pieces of fruit as well. This is the kind of, uh, you could say, abundance that God creates. It's replicatable over and over and over again. And, and so you, you're not afraid of eating the piece of fruit because it might be your last one. Yes. Because the reality is you, you expose the seed, you can plant that seed, it can grow into a tree, and then you've got thousands. Yeah. And you've got thousands again and thousands again. The reality is that this every single thing that God creates just has thousands upon thousands upon thousands of, you could say, multi-generational mm-hmm. creation. Mm-hmm one after the other, all being created. And you see this everywhere, yeah. even the creation and formation of the human body. Yeah. We, we have this ability to procreate. Yeah. In other words, we have this ability to have a child and another child and another child and another child. And, and those children to have children and to have children. Yeah, and, and you know, the reality is we could, we could begin with two people and end up with tens of thousands, of, and in fact, historically, that's how the earth got populated. Yes. There's billions of people now from two people. Why did all that happen? Because God created this ability inside each person, mm-hmm. each person. And God's created this ability inside everything that God's created. And particularly it's inside of the creatures that all have what I would classify as having a, a, certain, bit, a certain amount of life which extends beyond the atomic life, if yeah. you like. In other words, intelligent life. Mm-hmm. Now, if you contrast that with what humans create, most of the things we create are dead or they're created by dead things or they make dead things as they're being created. Yes. They don't have the ability to replicate over and over again, self-replicate over and over again. We've got to replicate them through the same dead process. And, And unfortunately, at the end, this is why many of us in this earth now believe that there is a lack. Yeah. Because we're, and, and there is well, a lack because is. we've created it. And even the things that we create decay. They don't Ooh. maintain themselves, no. any of them. No. And yet this is something we see in God's design constantly. Not only does it have a mechanism inherent in its intelligence that it, that it continually um, maintains itself mm. and corrects the imbalances within itself, yes. it even has this ability to go on replicating or creating or procreating. Yes. And I suppose what I'm getting to is this point, and that is that if you contrast what mankind does with creation and what God has done with creation, you can see that any 
lack that you have within you is fully the result of living in mankind's world without acknowledging what God does. Yes. Because if you acknowledge what God does, you would never believe there is a lack of abundance Mm -hmm. because everything that God does is constantly abundant and and pressed it's filled to overflowing to overflowing yeah and this is the thing that we need to understand about god now if we're in a situation or even a, even in a religion mm-hmm. or even in any form of investigation that we have if we're finding ourselves being limited by lack it's because we don't understand that god, what the way god does things yep. we don't understand and I feel it's very important too to contrast it inside of ourselves to go, okay, every time I feel lack, mm-hmm. every time I feel a lack of abundance, it's because I am embracing the world's view, mankind's view of life and not God's view of life. Because in God's view of life, nothing has lack. Everything is abundant. Everything procreates. Everything produces itself over and over again. So this is a very big contrast between the two forms of worlds that we live in. Mm-hmm. And then if we go, wow, you know, isn't it terrible how, you know, much lack there is here, here on the planet and, and why didn't God make it better? Well, God did make it better and there's proof that God made it better yeah. right in front of us and we're ignoring it because we're accepting the world's definition of what, you know, creation should be like. Yeah. And, and these are the things that we're not really seeing. Now, when you get to this location in the spirit world, you start seeing that. Mm-hmm. You start seeing, wow, everything God does is full of cre- creation. It's full of uh, everything's pressed to overflowing. Yeah. And, and so you have a lot more confidence in God once mm-hmm. you work your way through those emotions. And you start seeing that actually the whole reason why you had this concept of a lack of abundance is because of the world's way and the world's way of thinking. That's why you had it. Yep, yep. yep. Got you. And, and then we could talk about a lot about that, couldn't we? We could. <laughs> because there's like, what, what do most people do on earth when they have that view? Well, what they do is they store everything. Yes. So, so, you know, they get a little bit of money and instead of spending it, they put it in the bank. Of course, all that does is help other people spend it in the end. <laughs> but they don't spend it because they have this feeling of, I've got to store it. I've got, because I've got a lack of abundance. I'm not going to get more of that. Mm -hmm. So what I need to do now is I need to store that. I need to store it. Now, the only problem with it being stored is it does nothing. It does nothing. It doesn't create anything. So if you store things, they don't create anything. They don't produce anything. They don't don't, uh, allow the sharing of anything. The multiplication of anything. The multiplication of anything. So the... if you have money sitting in the bank, what does that do? Nothing except for some banks multiplying your money. <laughs> of course, they multiply it. Why don't you learn to do it for yourself? Yeah. And the only way you're going to learn to do it is by letting it flow, yeah. by, by sharing it. And then other people benefit from this flow. And that's the same really as not just the money that we have, but the, the um, gifts that God has given us. Yes. So earlier you were speaking about success and how often we want to hold success to ourselves. But if we saw that everything that we've been able to do has come from a gift that God has given us, mm-hmm. then we wouldn't hold on to it with such ownership yes. and we would be more willing to share it, wouldn't we? Yes. Which then, given the um, dynamic that you just outlined, yeah. would allow for it to grow and multiply and other people to Correct. benefit from it. Yes. 
So this uh, this whole reference to the talents. So the, yeah, I guess I need so to introduce gets, that. Yeah, it's now just... it gets to the Bible references of the different illustrations that I gave in the first century to try to illustrate God's goodness. So so to give context to what we've just been saying, in the next sentence, Mahanin directly references the book of Matthew, mm-hmm. um, chapter twenty-five, where he says, "To him that hath shall, to him that hath, or to him that has." Mm-hmm shall be given. So mm. those who have will be given more yes. is a rudimentary translation of that. Yeah. But it's actually referring to the parable of the talents, yes. which is exactly what you've begun to talk about now, isn't yes. it? Yes. About whether we guard what God has given us or whether we choose to share it. Yes. Now, in the parable of the talents, obviously there were, there were three guys given different talents. Yeah. And one guy was given one, one guy was given... I and think it was two, one was given five. Right? In the biblical sen- yeah. sense, a talent is a block of gold. Yes, yeah. that's right. So it's a large amount of funds, a yeah. large amount of money. Now, now, the guy who got one buried it. And the, re- the way he reasoned was, if I lose this talent, if I lose this block of gold, when the master comes back you know, from, a coming, from going abroad, he's going to punish me if I lose this gold. So, so what I'm going to do is I'll bury it so that way nobody can ever steal it. Only yeah. I know where it is. And then when the master comes back, I'll, I'll dig it up, wash it off and say, there you go, there's your block of gold. Because, and that's an essential part of this story, isn't it, that these talents were, were given to the servants, entrusted to them to, 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 use. to use and look after. Yes, to yeah. look after and grow. Yes. Obviously. And any person that has some wants to grow it so they have more, which is the way God acts. Everything that God does is always about a growing, like God's, God's created an ever-expanding, growing universe. Universes, multiple. Yeah. Right? God's created everything within the universe to be ever-expanding and growing. God's created everything on this planet, to, particularly when it has any intelligence, it can grow and, and therefore expand. God's created everything that way. So, so the reason for the illustration is a lot deeper than what most Christian people believe. The reason for the illustration was that God has created our souls with the ability to have some of God's soul qualities. Yep. So in other words, when God created us, God gave us the ability to love. God created, these are gifts. That, they weren't inherent in our creation, they were gifts given to us by God during the process of creation. Mm-hmm. So our soul came to understand love, for example, so we could grow in love. Mm-hmm. We, we would have other qualities, wisdom, power, you know, knowledge, and all these other qualities are all things that God gave us as a gift. Yeah. And then to then assume that God said, right, they are yours, which they are not. Mm-hmm. You see, this is where I feel most people come like a st- go astray, <laughs> go astray. Yeah. is that these talents, if you like, which are God's gifts to us, to our nature, to our soul, they are not ours. They are God's gifts to us. Yeah. And God is basically saying to us, look, you've seen what I do in the universe. Whenever I have a talent, whenever I have something that I have created, I create it so it can multiply. Yeah. And God's giving us that ability. God's saying now, I give this to you. Now go ahead and multiply it. Mm -hmm. Go ahead and do something with that and multiply it so you can share. And in the end, what we're doing is we're really sharing God's nature with the rest of the universe through our own actions. And God has created us in such a way 
that each person is unique in that there is a special part of God's nature which is unique inside of each individual, Mm -hmm. a special part of God's nature. And that applies to every single person who's ever been created. And God's basically saying, I then have given you this gift that is a special, unique part of my nature. What are you going to do with it? Now, what a lot of people do with it is nothing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They hold it under a... They put it, they bury it. Yeah. They, they, they don't do anything with it. They don't take and any action. Often for fear, just fear. like in the parable yeah. of the talents, and I cut you off, you didn't get to say the full story, but okay. the first servant um, buries it under the ground for fear of his master, basically. Basically, yes. And He's afraid that his master was an exacting man yes. and would require of him the talent back if, if he, and if he had lost it then it would be terrible. There'd be, there'd be hell to pay, as our saying goes nowadays. And so what, what he thought he would do instead is he would instead bury the thing so that there would be no hell to pay when his master come back, not understanding his master, not yeah. understanding. And, and the, what I was getting at was not understanding God, in fact. Yes. That God was not the kind of person who would think that coming back with exactly what you were given was the best cause of action. <laughs> God wants us all to grow. Yeah. God wants us all to change and grow, expand. Yeah. And, and the universe is expanding, individuals expanding, God's wanting us to expand, God wants everything on earth to expand. Everything can expand. It can continue to change and grow as long as we allow and want it. Yeah, which is like, wow, what you've just said. Yeah. <laughs> um, but if we think about why many of us don't share what we've been given and grow what we've been given, be it financial or in terms of our personal gifts and talents and things like that, yeah. um, it's often because we have had childhood experiences which make us fear mistakes. And yes. this is where we begin to impose upon God the experience with our parents or people who were bigger than us when we were little, which limits us uh, in terms of what we're willing to expand into or grow into, how many mistakes we're willing to make is through this process of growth. Yeah. But we've got to be careful that we don't go, well, I was brought up badly. Oh, Uh, yeah. I was brought up by my parents and they they suppressed me and they stopped me from growing. So now that's my justification for not taking any responsibility for myself and grow. My feelings are more along the lines of, well, no, we've got a good contrast here. We've got parents' actions, God's actions. Mm-hmm. Mankind's actions, humankind's actions, God's actions. God's actions, we can see very clearly from looking at the universe around us that everything's about growth, change. Everything's about multiplication, you know, yeah. having an overflow of everything. Everything that God creates is like that. Now, if I'm holding on to that old version, if you like, of life, and justifying that old version of life and then using that as an excuse to not grow. Well, God doesn't even think that's acceptable because, because the reality is God's given all of these illustrations through the entire universe. Uh, there's all these illustrations of growth and how it actually should occur. Yeah. yeah, there's lots and lots of illustrations about all of that, right? And so, and so why wouldn't we be more focused on the fact that what is the truth about this particular issue? The truth is the universe is abundant, and if I'm not, 
then I must be out of harmony with the way God thinks and the way God feels and the way God has created the universe to be. And so I must be out of harmony with love. I must be out of harmony with truth if my life is, is lacking in abundance. Yeah. And if I can even extend on what you said about using the, parent, the childhood experience as an excuse mm. when we have a lot of evidence to the contrary that God's universe operates mm-hmm. differently, mm-hmm. I also... Um, feel that there's a tendency for people to go, oh, I can't, it's really hard because it was really bad what my parents did and and this sort of victim role when often I see that people sort of romanticising sometimes how bad it was in their childhood mm. when actually they're afraid and... And they might be afraid of being punished and they might be afraid of making mistakes and they might be afraid, just like the guy was with the one talent, afraid that, you know, something would go wrong in the future so what I'm best do is hoarding it or or burying it. You know, there might be lots of reasons why they're they're afraid, but if if they're focused on the truth, they wouldn't be focused on those reasons. Yeah, and also I see that the the more we stay in that fear and use it as an excuse... Now we're engaging our own will and we are very responsible for that. Definitely. And the longer we delay making, taking responsibility and engaging with our talents as adults, that's, we're, we're totally responsible for, for that. And we're only making our fear grow rather mm. than lessen. Yep. We're not testing the false messages we were given in our childhood mm-hmm. about the way the universe operates. And so... It can be very easy just to go, oh, well, it's all too hard and mummy and daddy weren't good enough, when actually, yes, we're responsible for feeling now how, what the fears that were generated inside of us because of that experience. But the longer we delay, it, despite all evidence to the contrary that God's universe operates or God's universe operates differently to what these false beliefs are uh, telling us, mm-hmm. the longer we delay the confrontation of those false beliefs, the more we're damaging ourselves now and damaging the world around mm. us. And it is our, it's our responsibility. It's our creation. It's our creation, yeah. yeah. And like I said before, our creations, human creations, are never like God's, that, you know, unfortunately. Yeah. So, you yeah. know, they, they're always destructive. They don't have a growing, you know, a, posi- a, po- a positive yeah. viewpoint. They're pessimistic and so forth. So, you know, this this is a big problem. Yep. So the illustration of the talents, I feel, is a very important illustration to understand that God shared a part of God's own self, if you like, or you could say God shared God's qualities yep. with all of God's children. And as a result, we have inbuilt inside of us some of these qualities that, yep. we, that God shared with us. And we have the ability to grow them. And, of course, the biggest one we have the ability to grow is love. But, but there's desire, truth, passion, you know, all these other beautiful qualities that we can grow as well. And then there's also the, our personality, our true personality, which also has a, a part of God's very own nature in it mm-hmm. that is unique to ourselves. And if we don't grow it, people on, people on earth or people in the universe will not get to see a part of God that they could have seen. Yes, and I feel that is so powerful to reflect that there's this unique part of me that's not in anyone else. But that's come 
to me from God. And by inhibiting and myself, yeah. I'm actually suppressing a gift. God saw the potential in me to express this part of his nature yep. um, when he created me. Mm-hmm. He said, here you go, this is this special part of me that I can see that you'll, you will ex- be able to express. I think it's even deeper than that. My feelings are God actually placed this thing within you at your very creation. Yes. So, so it's, it's, it's far deeper. It's a part of your intrinsic nature and personality. Yep. It's not just something that you can choose to grow or ignore. It's now an intrinsic part of your personality and nature that you're choosing to suppress or to grow. And, and that's a very different thing than somebody creating you and then giving you the gift. Sorry, yeah, I totally agree with yeah, what you're saying. Yeah. I just so the way I, I, I sort of feel it. like, yeah. yeah, I sort of feel like it even is deeper than that. It's it's our very nature is a part of what God has created it to be, and, it, and the purpose that God created it was so that God could share a part of His own nature with the rest of God's creations through you. Yes, and I suppose that's what I was getting at is that by my personal suppression and lack of development of myself. I'm suppressing the capacity for a part of God to be more widely seen and understood. Correct. Yeah. yeah. And, that, and that you can see then why when God comes and says, what did you do with your talent? And, and we say, oh, we buried it. God says, I don't think I'm going to be very happy with that <laughs> as, a, as a concept, right? <laughs> That's not... Well, it's difficult to reward that, I suppose. Yes, it's not that God's unhappy or, yeah. or punishing, but, but rather that you, you can't expect to bear, benefit from the rewards of something if you've never never embraced it and you've never chosen to grow it. And this is a basic principle that most of us need to understand. We can sit on things if we want or store them and not share them. And that, impl- that, in, that, that includes everything. That includes the resources we have at our disposal, the money we have at our disposal, the personality and nature that we have at our, our, at our disposal, mm-hmm. the, the very qualities within us that are all part of what we could be using. And we can suppress and store many of those things, if not all of them. And then we can't, we can't then expect to be very well developed when God comes along and says, what, what have you done with my talents? We're going, oh, well, I haven't done much. I've just buried them because I was worried and I was buried them because I was afraid and I buried them because... And I buried them because I was lazy and I buried them because I had no self-responsibility and I buried them because I didn't think anybody else would benefit from them. And, and we list a hundred reasons why we bury them, but at the end of the day, none of those reasons have any valid, validity with God. Yeah. yeah. And, I mean, I, I have to admit, when I first heard the, or, you know, reheard the parable of the talents with the injuries that I had from this childhood now, I came at it, it was very confusing for me Mm. because of the lack and the fear. Mm -hmm. It seemed like the first servant did the right thing, you know. (laughs) Surely you should guard and keep close the thing that, and especially because in the parable it's talking about business and money. And so a lot of us, I think, have a lot of feelings about business and money and what's the right thing to do and that are governed by fear and lack. And governed by our parents' own viewpoints of fear of money yeah, in particular. Yeah, and, yeah. And I know I've even um, had questions from other people who, um, who could see beyond the idea of it being about finances and things, but it could see it in terms of personal qualities, mm-hmm. but feeling very indignant that it, 
that their stance of fear of hiding these things or not choosing to develop them yeah. would mean less rewards with God. Yeah. Um, and that all comes from our, willing, our willingness to justify fear, doesn't it? Uh, I think it comes from two things. It comes from that, the willingness to justify fear, but it also comes from the lack of respect of the gift. Yeah. Because it, we're not understanding that every single thing that we have been given, we have been given by somebody else. It had to exist first in that person, God, mm -hmm. before it could exist in us. Mm -hmm. That being the case, every single time we refuse to engage our desires or our passions in a pure direction in harmony with love, what we're really doing is we're refusing that gift. Yeah. And, and, and this is why it is such an important thing to bear in mind, because we're refusing the very thing God gave us. It's not ours. It was a gift given to us by God to multiply. Yes. God's purpose for giving us this gift was to multiply. And this was what goes back to the illustration of the talents. The man who was the master in the talents gave his stewards these talents the stewards were meant to do the master's business. Mm -hmm. They were meant to do what the master wanted with these talents. Now, the master didn't give these talents to the stewards to just go and spend willy-nilly and waste, and he didn't give them to go and bury. Yeah. He gave them to, to them because he wanted an investment of growth. He wanted things to grow. It was a gift he gave to them that he owned, and he wished to help them come to understand a lot of things about the multiplication of the gifts that they're given yeah. and, and also the rewards of doing such a thing. Now, this is how God is with us too. God wants us to come to understand, firstly, that, we've, that all of the qualities inherent within ourselves are actually only gifts from God. Mm -hmm. They're not actually anything we personally developed in terms of created. From the, yeah. from the, from, from, when I say created... From nothing came something. Yes. Uh, and when I say nothing came something, we didn't exist and then we existed. So, so who created that process of where we didn't exist and then we existed? Well, God. Without God giving us all of these parts of our personality and nature, we wouldn't exist. Anything that we do on, on this earth or beyond is going to be the direct result of a gift that God gave us. Yeah whether that gift be love or truth or, or, or our personality and our nature or whatever. Every single one of them is a gift that God gave us. And then if we refuse to actually multiply this gift, to grow this gift, then we're really saying, uh, you know, you shouldn't have given me that gift in the first mm. place. Mm -hmm. you, you, there's no honour of the gift or the gift giver. Yeah. under those circumstances. It's, it would be like one of the men who, who, you know, who, the stewards who were given the talents, going either, you know, they, they knew they, had to, they accepted the gift, they accepted the gift of the talent, like the one talent man, he's accepted the gift of the talent. But then he goes, but I, I don't know what to do with this. I don't want to do what the master expects. Because yeah. he knew he didn't get, get it given to him to just for no it. reason. Yeah. He knew he didn't get it given to him just to hide it because his master could have hidden it. Mm -hmm. and what's, the point, <laughs> yes. what's the point of you know, receiving a gift only to hide it? You know, the person who gave you the gift could have just hidden it yeah. and then, yeah. you know, then you would have been none the wiser and no, no more worried than you currently are. So, so he, he was already using bad logic and he was also being, being was it disingenuous, wasn't he, with the gift. He was basically saying that, if, if somebody gives me this gift, it's not really a gift, 
and it's not, I don't really have to do anything with it and the master doesn't expect me to multiply it, surely, mm-hmm. is really what he's going to himself. So I'm going to bury it so that there's no risk. And, and this is a very, a very unfortunate way of thinking and I see a lot of people thinking this way with regard to all of their talents and gifts. Yeah. They, they expect other people or they, they expect other people to develop their talents or gifts rather than them having to do it themselves. Yes. Or they don't develop them at all, Yeah. one of the two. And unfortunately, you can't really expect to have much success in God's universe while you do that. Yeah. So you mentioned people wanting other people. So it's like me saying, could you assist me to develop my gifts, this reliance on others, mm. or a feeling like, yeah, I don't want my gifts, I'm just hiding them forever. But then I also see this other thing where... Um, I see it directed towards you, which what made me think of it, uh, saying, could you please develop your gifts? Hurry up, hurry up, because I want to benefit from them mm-hmm. without taking responsibility for the development of their own gifts. Correct. Yeah. yeah. And we've got to all understand that God gave us all gifts individually. Yeah. So, so that means that every single person who has that thought has actually been given a personal gift they're ignoring. Yeah. They wouldn't ignore it if they if they if they really understood God. They wouldn't ignore it. They wouldn't ignore it. And there's actually more reference to that later on in the chapter. But sure. look, let's get back to the yeah. to the sentence. That was half a sentence. Yeah, yeah. In the second half, um, Mahanin references Luke chapter sixteen, verse mm-hmm. thirty-eight, which says, uh, and I'm not quite there. Hang on. So if we analyse both of these and then put it together to give it meaning to what he was actually trying to say to Fred. Sure. So uh, Luke 6.38 it was, sorry. So if I start at 37, do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, will be poured on into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Hmm. So what is Luke trying... Oh, that's you. What was but, I trying to say? Yeah, what, what is Luke <laughs> trying to convey that you were trying to say? Yeah. Or that you said? Yeah. Well, obviously there are quite a number of issues here, but let's look at one of the first ones, and that is that there is this real stinginess on this planet. Mm -hmm. And like I said, if you truly understood God, you would not ever be stingy because God's never stingy. And if if there's any lack of abundance on this planet, it's not because of anything that God's done. It's always to do with what humans have done. God's not stingy. And whenever we're stingy, we're completely out of harmony with love actually. We're completely out of harmony with God. We're not being generous. And one of the laws of the universe, as I pointed out there, is a law that basically states this. If you give, then things will be given to you. In other words, things can flow into you as long as things are flowing out of you. But if you don't give, then whatever measure you've been using to give to other people, so if it's nothing, then highly likely that you will also receive nothing, Mm -hmm. particularly from God. Mm -hmm. And this is a very basic principle about the flow of God's love as well. If we are unwilling to love our fellow man, if we are unwilling to love our brothers and sisters, then and then at the same time expect that God loves us, we're going to find that no love from God flows into us at all. 
because that, the way love flows is it requires an outgoing also coming out of us. It, mm-hmm. it, when I say it requires, there is law. There are actually laws governing how the flow of love can, can, can occur in the human soul. Yeah. And this is one of the laws. And that was the primary law I was trying to, trying to here demonstrate to people. Mm-hmm. The fact is that if they were generous particularly with their love, yeah. then, then that allowed also God to be generous with them, with yeah. God's love. And it allowed this flow, if you like, and growth to occur. Yeah. And remembering that everything that God makes is multiplying, it means that more you allow your love, and it's not an addiction or any of the codependencies. <laughs> it's not the world's definition of love here. Yeah. It's God's definition of love that we're talking about. If you allow the flow of this love, then, of course, God's love can flow into you. Yeah. Now, what we see happening a lot is that most people, even those people who have heard divine truth, don't actually express their love very much. If anything, uh, many of them don't express any love whatsoever to other people while at the same time desiring God to love them. Now, such a thing is impossible. Mm -hmm. You you can't do that. Mm -hmm. You know, this is why I said, you know, the two greatest commandments are love your father with your whole heart, mind, soul and strength and then love your neighbour as yourself. And I had to add the second one because if, if the loving your neighbour as yourself is the outflowing of your love. Yes. The love of God is the, uh, beside, so that's desiring to love God, but mm-hmm. also to receive God's love is the inflowing of the love yeah. that comes from God. So, And isn't it also that the, the, our love for God is an outflowing of our love, of course. which allows the inflowing of God's of love. Of course. Yeah. And this is the thing most people don't realise about their relationship with God is that if you do not desire to love God, then it's highly unlikely you're going to be able to receive God's love for you. Yeah. Right? You need to get to know this God that, uh, that you desire to love as well. Mm-hmm. You need to express your desire as well. Mm-hmm. And this is all a part of growing some of these talents that you have. Yeah. And, and the, if we assume the biggest talent that we be, could be given is love, right? If you, and that, again, I'm talking about God's love here, not, not our human love. Yeah. Bear in mind, though, that our human love originally was given to us, wasn't given to any other creature. It was given to the human soul by God. So it came from God in the first place. Yes. But it was a love that we could express for others. What I'm talking about is the love that God expresses for us if we desire to receive that love from God while at the same time expecting that we shouldn't have to know God at all and that we, sh- that we have no longing to know God and no desire to love God and all those kind of things, then, then yeah, as you can see, it's highly unlikely that any love would be able to flow into our soul. Yep. That's yep. the reality. Yep. And these are all parts of these verses, I suppose, that are recorded in the Bible where where they've now taken on other meanings. Mm-hmm. But, but in the reality is they really talk about how love flows yeah. and how love is expressed and what you can expect if you are generous with the love that comes out of your soul and also with all of the other qualities that come out of your soul. Yeah. Generous with your personality, your nature, yeah. what you share of yourself with other people. Then you'll find other people will do the same with you. But also you'll find God's flow of love will enter you far more readily. Yeah. And um, in the continuation of the sentence, Mahanin says, the overflow cannot be lost, which no. is really um, another expression of what you're saying there, isn't it? That 
Well, I suppose there's another aspect of the soul, isn't it, really, being discussed? Yes. Do you want to discuss that? And then we'll... Well, I feel it's this aspect of the soul that that the reality is that if we allow information, whatever it is, and by information, most of the information that flows into our soul is emotions, Mm -hmm. but it also is knowledge and other things too. If we allow this information flow, if you like, into the soul then nothing that is actually in the soul can ever be lost. Mm-hmm. And, and this is a beautiful thing too. You can't lose anything. So when you have moments of reflection, you'll go back to them. You'll, you'll remember those things. Yeah. Yeah. If anything is lost, then it's because there was no soul-based inflow yeah. that had occurred on that particular subject. And that's very frequent on this planet, unfortunately, yes. where there is no soul-based inflow. It's all just intellectual interaction without any feeling in, in, involved in the interaction for many and as a result there's no soul-based inflow so most of that discussion will be lost yeah. most of that knowledge absolutely. will be lost absolutely yeah, yeah. Um, so he's saying whatever you can't really process right now as long as your heart's open you're going to come back to this and recall this correct so if we just um, given that we've explained the two um, bible references now yeah Talk about what he's really trying to say to Fred here because if we go back to the chapter, Fred's anxious. Okay, like am I going to be able to remember all of this and um, uh, do, what's best thing here for me to do? Should we go to see where Omra lives? Yeah, well, remember and, he also in the, his own comment, Fred's own comment, Afra's own comment, he was saying he was afraid, he, he almost feared to tax his recollection further. Yes. So this is what began this comment back to him from yep. Mahan Yin. And, and basically he's saying, um, I'm afraid that if you give me more information, <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm just going to get so overloaded and overwhelmed by the whole thing that I don't know where I'll be. Yes. Right? And, and basically Mahan Yin was saying, that's actually not possible if you allow it to flow into yourself. To flow into you. But also his reference to the talents, he's, the parable of the talents. Is he not always, or it also saying, um, look, your curiosity has rewarded you thus far. Mm. You are developing this part of you. Come, let's go and see more. Mm. Uh, you, you're already doing a lot with the gifts that God has given you. Let's continue that progress. Yeah. So there's no need to feel frightened or a sense of lack. This is this is the way it works here. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And he's but he but he's also suggesting um, through the references this, these deeper meanings, yeah. which are the deeper meanings of actually God created your soul. Every single gift that's inside of you right now is a gift given to you by God. Mm-hmm. So why wouldn't you? want to grow it? Why wouldn't you want to express it in some way? And go and see and where Omra lives. And, and yep. take action to yep. go there. Yep. And it's interesting, right at the end of the chapter, he, it got too much for him <laughs> yes. to do that. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So thank you so much for your beautiful reflections because that was, I feel that the parable of the talents can be really confronting for people. And I think it's it's a great thing to talk about a bit yeah, more. Yeah, confronting and misunderstood, I feel. Yeah. Like most people don't understand that I was referring. Like they, they sort of see gifts that God gave them as theirs, but, but that's not how I see them. I mm-hmm. see every single thing that God's given me as something God gave me, so therefore it was God's in the first place. And when I look at it that way, 
I don't have any feelings of like it's mine or, you know. And so quite often interviewers ask me, but you're saying you're Jesus, isn't that unique and special? No, God gave me everything I have. Mm -hmm. Uh, So why would I have this viewpoint that I'm special because of who I am or anything like that? No, God gave me every talent that I have. So, So it doesn't make any sense for me to feel that way, in fact. And I certainly don't because I acknowledge that every single thing I've ever had and ever will have comes from God in some way. Yeah, and I love your humility in that regard. But I also know for myself, I have tried to enhance and develop things that God didn't give me that were from (laughs) the world and to suppress the things that God has given me because of the judgment of them inside of myself. And that's another way where I feel we can get lost in this journey. Yeah. yeah, it's unfortunate, isn't it? The majority of people are, are usually trying to enhance or grow their facade self, which is something that is created by the world. And therefore, and, and when I say the world, you know, the environment in which we've lived and were brought up in. And as a result, it's always going to die because everything the world ever creates dies. You know, it's all, it's all, it all doesn't have that creative um, what's a, what's regenerative, the word? regenerative, or, yep. uh, and or uh, even um, procreative uh, is multipl- probably, yeah, procreative yep. ability. Yep. And this is the this is the problem: is that every time you try to grow your facade self, you're trying to grow something that doesn't have any procreative ability. You know, from from your soul's perspective, and and so of yep. course it's always going to end <laughs> up in sadness and dist- you know personally, and then for the environment around you. Of course, for that as well. And you can feel the difference, can't you? When someone's in facade, there's there's not a feeling of gifting or growing around no. that person. No. Whereas when they're more authentic and sincere, suddenly it's like the energy ups in the room yeah. and there is, it opens other people up. There's, there's all this multiplication just starts happening right then and there, doesn't Correct. it? Correct, yeah. yeah. So that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. And, and if people understood that, then I'm sure they would, they would start reflecting a lot more deeply about what they're choosing to do with their day-to-day life and whether they are choosing to embrace these talents that God's <laughs> given them or not. Yeah. 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 And are they honouring the fact that God, they came from God rather than being something that was intrinsic inside of themselves before they began? Yeah. You know, I, th- I feel if you honour that it all came from God in the first place, then you'll decide to grow it under all sorts of circumstances. Yeah. All sorts of circumstances, even the most oppressive circumstances. Even the most oppressive circumstances or the, the you know, sometimes we can feel like we're the um, steward who just got the one talent and, and other people got 75 talents and we'd just like to hang back because we feel inadequate or, or silly with our one talent. But if we recognise the truth about all of this, then we know that not only will that one talent grow and multiply, it's a special gift from God that was yeah. placed in us. Yeah, like it's God's talent. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it belongs to God. Like, yeah. And if you choose to not multiply, you're choosing to not multiply something that actually belongs to God. Yeah. And yet God's whole philosophy of the entire, that we see evidently around, it's self-evident around us, and his whole philosophy is that everything I create, this is from God's now speaking, everything God creates multiplies. Yes. Everything, he, so God's saying to us, everything I create multiplies. Why, why isn't that the case for you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. 
<laughs> okay, so that's enough to convince Fred to to go on the journey with Yeah, to, to at least have a go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he didn't have to say as much as we did about it no, to get no. him going. <laughs> and I suggest that if somebody has to say to us that much yeah. before we get going, then probably we've got a lot of problems with yeah. this particular problem of desire and Definitely. the problem of developing ourselves and developing our talents and developing our love. If somebody's got to sit down with us for an hour before we get to do something, yeah. then generally it means that we don't have much strong yeah. desire. But again, there we see that theme of aspiration that was mentioned, you know, in the first part where he was observing the people who'd seen the ceremony, their aspiration had, had helped them to grow. Here again, it's Frederick's aspirations that are being rewarded again and again. Again, yeah. Yeah. All right. Okay. Can we just have have a break? Yeah. Thank you. Okay. We're back from our break and we'll continue with our discussion of chapter 20. So the next thing that happens is that Fred and Myhanine set off and Myhanine's going to attempt to show Fred where Omra lives. Mm. But along the way, they have a very interesting discussion. Can we talk a little bit? Um, oh, no, let's talk about the discussion first. Yeah, yeah. I think. And then yeah, there's and then we'll more to say. Yeah, talk about some other things. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, Frederick raises the fact that when he was with the poetess, which happened a couple of chapters ago, mm. um, that she seemed to, I'll say here, she seemed to give expression to opinions which differed considerably from those I have heard expressed by others. Mm. Was I correct in my conclusions or do you think I have misunderstood her? Mm. To which Myhanine gives a really awesome reply. Do you mm. want to read a few things Yeah, well, there's down so there. much of the there reply, is a, isn't there? There is. But if we start with there is a vast distinction. Yes, he says there is a vast distinction, my brother, between differences and divisions. I know that on earth differences of opinion frequently cause very painful divisions, but it is not so here where we have learned that the truth but makes us free. Below it is held as a cardinal principle in practice, that the geologist should appraise a dogma at exactly the same value and according to the estimate of the theologian, or he is regarded as an atheist and is rightfully shut out from the company of the faithful. And the same rule is more or less stringently applied to every other branch of learning. How absurd. Did not the same God who inspired the pen inspire the rocks? (laughs) Did he infuse ink? with the whole revelation and leave the rest of chemistry a blank? (laughs) Was his will bequeathed entirely to the printing press and the other manufacturers left in pauperism? Were the confines of his love left to the discrimination of a bookbinder and the artistic world ignored? Has the illimitable and infinite submitted to absorption by a Jewish nation and left no possible record for astronomy to read. <laughs> so some very interesting questions he asked there, of course. Very. And, and we see this a lot, don't we, how uh, religious thought is often thought to preclude other scientific thought, for example. And true scientific thought is thought to, to contradict religion. Yeah. Well, I, I, I would put to anybody that if true scientific thought contradicts religion, then it wasn't the true religion in the first place and yeah. it should be thrown out. Yeah. Uh, everything will be harmonious and God created 
the science as well as the uh, concepts of love, faith, humility and all those other soul-based concepts. So it would make sense that both sets of concepts are in complete harmony with each other. Yeah. And this is what we find. Yeah, and when I suppose what he's saying, the truth but makes us free, when truth is hit in any of those endeavours, it will create harmony between all of them. So it's not to say one is completely... um, uh, I can't think of the word... Invalid. Yeah, so I suppose it's like a... It's not saying that just because you accept that truth, you now have to deny that truth. Yes. Both truths will be concurrently true. Yes. And if they're not concurrently true, then one of them is obviously false. Yes. Yes. (laughs) One of them is not a truth. Yeah, one of them is not a truth. And what I like about what he's saying there, he's basically saying, like, truth is not the domain of the theologian alone. No. Truth can be found through all different endeavours. And I feel this extends on the point we were talking about with the talents and Mm. the unique talents that Mm. each person has, that we will be discovering truth through lots of different avenues because we have different personalities. Not only that, I think it's also important for most people to understand who are listening to understand that actually there is something they need to do with their personal life that will actually help the rest of the universe discover a truth about God. Yeah, which <laughs> and, is, that's pretty And that's big. pretty amazing. Yeah. But, but it is true. Like unless a person really fully extends themselves emotionally and physically towards discovery of new truths and discovery of, you know, their own, embracing their own personality and so forth and doing so in harmony with love and truth, then, then there's going to be missing bits and pieces that we won't know about the universe unless those particular people embrace them. Then we won't know all sorts of things. And this is why we've got to stop seeing each other as um, in competition with each other or, or if you find out something that's true, then, I, then, uh, then my life's now hopeless. And it's not the case at all. God's created it completely different to that. Yeah, or that, oh, those people are smarter than me, so they're going to figure it out and I'd, I, there's nothing I can do. Even though yeah. I have these questions, I, I'm better off leaving it in the hands of other people to discover the yeah. answers. Yeah, and that's a very sad attitude that we see prevalent here on earth, but, but it's something we need to give up because mm-hmm. if we, can give it, we give it up, we'll start to see the reality, which is that God created all of us to have all of this very strong desire for truth. And then each of us will share in the sum total of the truth that's available. Yeah. yeah. Which is awesome. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so that's why he says, as, as the macrocosm, so you will find the microcosm has its arrangement in order to produce the natural harmony for which it has been designed. We have arrived at the knowledge that no, that no man can grasp, much less monopolize the whole of truth but every sorry much less monopolize the whole of truth but every mind appropriates its own congenial molecule (laughs) by and by the whole of this variety of thought will be gathered together as a florist arranges his flowers into a choice bouquet every individual mind will then give utterance to its natural tone and the volume of the whole will create and produce the perfect harmony of truth's full chord so this is exactly That's, what I'm saying. Yes. Yeah, in yeah. much more colourful language. <laughs> <laughs> but it's impossible for one person to monopolise all of truth. And this concept that somebody can is flawed from the beginning. The only, to, to, monopoli- to be the only domain of truth, you would have to be God. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and none of us are. 
So therefore, none of us are able to have a monopoly on all of the truth. And even God doesn't choose to have a monopoly on the truth. God chooses to share it all. So even God doesn't choose to monopolize truth. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I like, I like the next comment. He says, in accordance with this, you will find there is still a variety of opinions mm-hmm. upon minor matters. Preference for shades of thought regulated by conditions of different individuals. But you will never meet with anyone who will call blue, pink or black, amber. <laughs> you know, and I think that is a lovely yes. way of saying, isn't it? God's truth is God's truth. And, and the reality is, once it's discovered and fully known, nobody who ever discovers it is going to call it anything different than what it is. Yeah. But we all have different opinions. We all have different ideas and concepts, many of which are needed in order to discover what the truth is, actually. Exactly. Yeah. And if we think about the conversation that Fred is referencing, <clears throat> the one that he had with the poetess, mm. if we reflect on that conversation, she was thinking about all of the things she thought about on earth, the ideas and opinions she had, what she's learnt now and what her thoughts are about what might be the future. Mm. And all of that is a process of her having opinions, revising those opinions when truth is presented, Correct. and then generating more opinions based on what she knows, in, and that will help her step towards more truth. Yes. Once she knows a truth, she knows it as truth. But if you think about in that conversation she had, she was saying, look, I don't really know yet, but this is what I imagine must be the case. Correct. So she, she knew it was her opinion, yes. but that opinion was helping her yes. to aspire even, to grow towards something. Yes. Yeah. And this... this uh, I find this very interesting from my perspective because when I say that I'm Jesus, most people expect that it means that I know everything. Or that you believe you know everything. Well, yeah, yeah, at least that I believe I know everything. Uh, Or they expect that Jesus would have a monopoly on all truth. Now, obviously, this is not true. Now, now all I am is one of very many billions of souls that God created all of which have different unique personalities, all of which have the ability to discover unique truths. And so all I am is one of those people. Now, now to then expect one person to know everything is basically expecting that one person to be God. Mm-hmm. And that, that is never going to be the case. The other problem is that it also prevents me, and many people prevent me, from having an opinion. Right? In other words, they suggest that if I had an opinion that was wrong, that I need to apologise for it. No, I don't. I don't need to apologise for opinions that are wrong. I need to apologise for when I was unloving. Yes. (laughs) And this is where we need to get a distinction between what happens in the spirit world and what happens here on earth. What happens here on earth is there are great arguments about and divisions and violent divisions many Mm -hmm. times Mm -hmm. caused about differing opinions, right? Many times people will go to war for such opinions. Now, if a person took the opinion or viewpoint that the only thing they ever need to apologise for is for being unloving, right? Yeah. Not for having a different opinion, but for being unloving. And not even for being wrong, because you can still be loving and wrong. Yes. You're still, for example, you, you might not know certain things that God knows, and so therefore you would be wrong on those particular subjects because you would only have an opinion and God knows the truth. Now, God allows you to be wrong, but God's laws are not going, they're always going to correct and not going to allow you to be unloving. Mm-hmm. They're always going to correct unloving behavior. Now, every single time 
you are unloving, that is the time you need to apologise. That is the time you need to take actions of repentance. That is the time you need to do something about it. Not when you don't know something. There is nothing wrong with not knowing something. There is nothing wrong with making a mistake. What the, in fact, from God's perspective, the only mistake we can really make is to not be loving. <laughs> you know, yes. all the other things that occur, all the other things about knowledge and knowing things and opinions, everyone's allowed to have them. And everyone, including Jesus, is allowed to have a wrong one. Yeah. Right. And, and the key is, is the person loving in the way in which they express and also discuss and also share such opinions? That's yeah. the key question. Yeah. And that's what I see occurring that that is very wrong on earth compared to the spirit world yeah in the spirit world particularly in the higher spheres everyone is allowed to express the opinion that they have Mm -hmm. and nobody does it in an unloving manner nobody does it in order to attack or denigrate a person or pull them down or to humiliate them or any of these other reasons that most people on earth choose to you know expose some truth Rather, they all do it because they honour the truth. They want God's truth. They want, you know, to help each other come into a higher understanding of all of the truths of the universe. So, for example, the theologian meeting the geologist who had just made an important discovery would be fascinated to know, what is your opinion about that? What did you learn? Because it would help him, when they're both in a condition of love, it would help him to reflect further on what his opinions are and what he already knows to be true. So there's not a sense of lack or competition or a sense of needing. What I find really beautiful is that there's no sense of needing to share an opinion for love to flow. And often we see this here on earth, don't we? Unless we agree on A, B, C and D, we don't like each other. What's that that about? That's the problem. That is the problem. Yes. The problem is that we should still be able to love even if we have different opinions. Yes. And and here my onion was talking or referring to the historical problem that was between theologians and geologists or yes. theologians and scientists and that was that the, the theologian was very much opposed and, and in fact the entire organisation of theology was very much in the dark ages opposed to scientific discovery because they thought that somehow it would actually denigrate their understanding of God and the universe. That is a physical impossibility. The the theologians should support the the desire to discover new scientific things Mm -hmm. because, because in the process the theologian will learn more about God just as much as he will learn if he tries to, you know, focus and on love and the development of other qualities or other theological aspects. So, so this is where we have a big problem on this planet. We've, we're not allowed to make mistakes. If we do, we're criticised. Yeah. We're not allowed to have different opinions and we have to fight for our different opinions. And all of those things are wrong. We need to be aware, allowed to make mistakes, allowed to have different opinions. We shouldn't be fighting our opinions mm-hmm. because the only real mistake we can make is to not love. Yes. That's the only real mistake we can make from yes. God's perspective. Yeah. And all of the other so-called mistakes are just a lack of knowledge. Mm-hmm. That's all it is. Mm-hmm. Now, the worst kind of a lack of knowledge, therefore, is not a lack of knowledge of scientific universe or a lack of knowledge of geology or a lack of knowledge of any other thing. It's a lack of knowledge about love. Yeah. That is the worst kind of lack that we can ever experience because that is the kind of lack that always results in hardship and terrible, terrible pain and suffering on this planet. Yeah. 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 And, and I, f- I feel that the, this chapter is really great for highlighting <laughs> yeah. that, that. It is, yeah. definitely. Yeah. And as we've heard, 
previous in the book, I think, Kushner or Mahanin, I can't remember, they said love is the one true religion. Exactly. So love, just as you've been saying, love is the thing that governs the whole spirit world. It's the thing that unites people yeah. rather than opinions and rather than specific theolo theological yeah. um, so a theologian shouldn't be Beliefs. addicted to the Catholic faith or the, yeah. the Lutheran faith or the Church of England faith or the Muslim faith or any yeah. other faith, Hindu yeah. faith, whatever, any other faith you could dream up on the planet. And we dream up a lot, you know, yeah. there's yeah. tens of thousands <laughs> of them. And a, the, a true theologian is a person who's focused on love fo and sees and that the only mistake they can make is by not being loving. And they focus on the fact that they want to develop a relationship with God, the creator of the universe. And that means they're going to need to know as much about the universe as they possibly can. And the only way they're going to understand the universe is by actually coming into harmony with love. Yeah. And once the, the theologian understands that, he would never go to war again. Mm -hmm. He would never fight, you know, any person on the planet for their differing beliefs. Never in prison. What was Galileo was in prison for I don't know how many years. <laughs> He'd never imprison a scientist. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> he, would, he would never do any of those things because he understands that it's all very, very important part of his demonstration of love, yeah. which is the real, true religion. Yeah. There's no such thing from God's perspective as religious faith, like the Lutheran faith or the Christian faith or the general Christian faith or even in, 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 interdenominational sects in the Christian faith. There's no such thing as that from God's perspective. All God's worried about or concerned about, God's established all of the laws in the universe to establish these things, is how is love ruling here? And so isn't, isn't that fantastic? Mm. Given that we each have a unique personality, as we've been talking about, with unique interests and passions and ways that we learn and explore, each of us has a different flavour to how our personality directs us to do those things. Yeah. And so naturally through that experience, we're going to have a lot of varied opinions because we're coming at... We're coming at issues from all kinds of different ways. And if we just have love as our one anchor or our one way of... Um, interaction. Interaction and yeah. assessing whether our action is a, is a good one or yeah. our experiment is worthwhile. Yeah. If we had that as the, as the one true religion or we were educated just in that one thing, yeah. then opinions wouldn't matter, differing opinions wouldn't matter. Yeah. But in the end, we would all come to to know a really broad um, range of truths because through having love as our guiding force and having our different opinions and testing them through experiments, we come to know truth in so many different areas. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So it's, a, it's such a good thing that he said there and yes. I just feel like that, that you'll never meet anyone who will be able to call blue, pink or black amber. <laughs> That's something that happens so much here on earth as well, yeah. you know, like when we start talking to people about their childhoods, they want to tell us that there's all these lovely things that happen in their childhood and, and we're feeling all the things that happened from their childhood going, wow, no, it wasn't good at all, you know, like <laughs> how can you think you're trying to call pink blue there, you know, <laughs> yeah. like completely the opposite thing. And, and when you start, oh, interestingly enough, when you start talking to them about what actually happened, then of, on a, often then the tears start flowing mm -hmm. because there is an internal acknowledgement usually in most people that, yeah, that, that is actually true. Yeah. <laughs> and once the, that internal acknowledgement of truth occurs, 
then it allows the flow of emotion quite easily. And that's one of the powers of truth, isn't it? That yeah. it opens, can yeah, it open opens us. the soul. Yeah, so, but really he's saying their personal opinions in the spirit world are honoured, mm-hmm. but they're never confused with truth either. No, <laughs> no, and they should not be. And this is where I've said over and over again to groups of people, look, you've just asked me for my personal opinion, I'm going to give it. I'm allowed to have a personal opinion. Yeah. But don't expect that this is going to be the truth. Yeah. So don't, and yet most people tend to hold that against me later when, I say, <laughs> when they say, oh, AJ said that and then it didn't happen. Or Jesus said that and it didn't happen. He's not Jesus. Mm. No, Jesus is allowed to have a personal opinion <laughs> and he's also allowed to have, have mistakes and he's also allowed to be wrong. <laughs> and, and get this, over that. You know? <laughs> yeah, totally get over it. But I, I also feel that this is where people observe you through their intellect and through your words. And to me, this experiment that you and I are engaged in and the others of the 14 is not about us coming down to write a new Bible. It's not about <laughs> saying a bunch of words. No. It's about demonstrating a process. Yes. And ultimately demonstrating love. Yes. Our love in harmony with God's love. Yeah. And I feel that if people are often want to say to people, look, you are looking at this all the wrong way. You're looking at this in terms of like measured outcomes and predictions and, you know, oh, I'll write down that as the exact thing, this step A plus B plus, without examining you as the person and how you respond to things, the way you interact, the feelings coming from you, mm-hmm. when often they are, they are responding to those things from a soul perspective, often. but then they're trying to attain that condition or uh, understand you through their intellect yeah. and it just doesn't work. No. And this is where a lot of people end up with a lot of dissonance, I feel, and a lot of confusion and a lot of feeling like, oh, I don't know, I give up. Yeah. Yeah. And they're not examining some basic things here. Um, the reality is, from God's perspective, I am going to be wrong on a lot of subjects because God has infinite truth, and I'm just in a very early st- in the very early stages of discovering a lot of it. Yeah. So you know, it's like if if you think of infinity, infinity is hard to conceive for most people. But let's just imagine it's up there, yeah, <laughs> somewhere. Um, I'm right down here. And while that might be more than the average person knows about God's truths, it's certainly nowhere near, nowhere near a, a, a percent of what God knows as truth. And so therefore, yeah. I'm going to have, going to make mistakes. I'm going to be wrong. I'm going to have to have opinions, which I correct later right through the mm-hmm. discovery of more truth. But the real question is, how am I loving doing it? Like, and that's the real question that everyone needs to ask themselves, I feel. Yeah. I'm allowed to have this opinion, but am I loving doing it? Yes. And is this opinion even loving? Yeah. Right? Because if the opinion's not loving, then it's highly likely it's going to motivate you to take unloving actions as well. Absolutely. So, you know, many of the so-called uh, church or religious viewpoints of what is true are very unloving and therefore obviously false Mm -hmm. and this is why many scientists go what's the point of having religion their viewpoint is obviously false yes and it is obviously false in many cases it's obviously false to believe that you should be able to punish a group of people because they don't believe the same things you do that's obviously false it's obviously out of harmony with love and this is where i see sometimes the scientist has more of a connection with what is loving 
many times than the religion, mm -hmm. you know, the theologian does. Yeah. And that's very sad because the theologian should be the person who's leading the, you know, the discussion about love. Yeah. And instead what we see is that oftentimes they, they are some of the worst offenders when mm -hmm. it comes to, you know, being unloving to others of their brothers and sisters on the planet or, or outside of the planet. And, and so I sort of see this as a big issue as well, this issue of what we what we allow to occur in the name of our beliefs and opinions. Yeah. And, and this is something that we need to severe, you know, really give up. I think someone recently, I did an interview a, few week, a week ago with a guy um, and he asked, you know, what are some of the most important things that we need to be aware of on the planet? And that was one of the things I said. The fact is I'm allowed to have a different opinion. It doesn't have to be the same as yours. But what I need to do is learn how to be loving while I have it. Yeah. Uh, what, you know, that's the thing I really need to learn. Yeah. And that's the thing that the majority of us don't learn, unfortunately. And because of that, we fight and we argue. And not only fight, we argue, we even go further. We even kill people just because they don't have the same opinions as ourselves. As we do. Yeah, yeah. no wonder there's divisions <laughs> on the planet. We were, we're ready to kill people just because they don't have some, some same opinion as ourselves. No wonder people are scared of expressing their opinions. <laughs> As well. Absolutely. Because some of them, historically, many of them have had to die for it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> very Which sad. is crazy. That's very sad too. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about a couple of other things as we mm -hmm. get towards the end of the chapter. The first is about the contrast between the condition of Mahanin and Fred and Fred and the location that Mahanin is taking him to see yes. and what effect that has upon Fred. Yes. So, so we could say in summary yeah. that Mahanin is saying to Fred, look, I might be able to get, you might be able to get a glimpse of Omra's home if I lend you a whole heap of my energy to do yeah. so. Yeah. And do you want to try that? And Fred says, yes. So off they go and they have the discussion we've just had but then, then they, they're getting now closer to it. And as they get closer to it, Fred's now starting to feel like really strange, yes. really strange. And, yes. and, and initially it, it's pleasant strange. Yes. Um, so when he, say, he says, um, uh, I, I can I'd become aware that as we sped onward, the atmosphere became lighter until, as he concluded, I found I'd quite lost the power of speech. I was overwhelmed with sensations strange and indefinable, mm -hmm. not unpleasant, but rather the contrary. So, so he's now entered this domain, if he, which he calls it, that's invigorating, irresistibly happy, and he's been carrying buoyant, he's been carried forward, and, and he's not yet quite there. And then as soon as you could feel now, he was now at the extent of Mayanin's energy yep. or love, if you like. That would, and so to get to the last effort, Mayan had to really wrap him up yeah. with love and just carry him a little bit further so they could stand on the top of this mountain. Yes. So that they could see the vista that was over the other side of this mountain and going up, 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 up yeah. into places that they couldn't even see. Yes. Yeah. So we're seeing there that, um, that he's having to be loaned this energy and that it... To, to even be able to enter a place where he can view such a developed sphere in the spirit world mm -hmm. that he, 
you know, he's having to be loaned a lot of energy. So when we are literally in these lower conditions, we just can't get there. It's no. just impossible. No. And even if somebody loans us the energy, as, uh, as shown here, they have to do it to an extreme extent. And even then we can only just view. We can't really experience yep. what's really going on. Yep, mm. yep. And so, this is really, isn't it, about development in love? Yeah. So, you know, we've discussed the development in truth. Yes. And now I suppose it comes to the development in love, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. And this is what Mahan is de demonstrating, is his own development in love, enough that he's willing to supply as much energy as he possibly can to give uh, Fred or Afra this experience that of what his future may look like, yeah. you know, at some point, at some point. And that, that's such a beautiful gift that he's giving, my honey is giving. Yeah. Um, but by the end of it, Fred, he goes from feeling like, wow, and buoyed along, and this is beautiful. Yeah, he's speechless, by the way, by this stage. Yes, yes. Um, so he, it's already quite overwhelming sort of an experience. Yep. Firstly pleasant. Then they get there and they see this beautiful majestic vista, mm. which reminded me a lot of... Uh, a quote from yourself in John, uh, John chapter 14, 2. Yeah. In my father's house are many mansions. Yes. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Yeah. Just that vista, it's not referenced in the text, but just that vista reminded me of, of that um, thing that you said, just the, yeah. the many mansions and beautiful places that are in the spirit world and... Yeah. Um, well, you and I have seen many more beautiful things than this described here, but maybe yeah. if we just read a little bit of what's described. Yeah. He says, each terrace was bathed in its own distinctive glory. So there's terrace upon terrace upon terrace, all with mountains and what he called celestial mountains, countless hills, which countless terrace going upon up and up and up into mountains and so forth. And he says that... Um, each terrace was bathed in its own distinctive glory, the brilliance increasing with ascent. The sight conveyed to my mind the idea of a grand celestial staircase leading to the throne room of the infinite. At either extremity of those steps, as though to preserve the balance and complete the design of the heavenly architecture, rose the peaks of intersecting ranges like regal janitors, bathed in atmospheric hues, changing in their ascent to taintless glory where unsullied crystal pillars form the background of the vision, bearing upon their shoulders a structure that blazed and flashed like a diamond reflecting the light of some etern eternal sun. And Mayanin said, that's Omra's home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, again, it's always such beautiful descriptions. Yeah. And... Um, He's, he then says, I was told it wasn't even heaven I was looking at. Yeah, um, like you said, just a Beulah land or a link between the lower and higher conditions. So we've not even entered the first celestial sphere at this point. No. He, can't, he can't see that far. Yeah. So he's seeing some of the spheres under yeah. the first celestial sphere. And as a result, you know, it's just a temporary uh, stop land, if you like. Yes. Yeah, and, my, my, and Omra's home is in that area. Yeah. I had a question from a listener who was asking if that Beulah land, which if we just um, talk a little bit about Beulah land, uh, where that reference comes from. Another Bible reference. It's a Bible reference. Yep. It's from, I wrote it down, Isaiah, Isaiah 62, 4. Although hmm. in some 
newer translations, I haven't actually checked it in here, yeah. they don't even use the word Beulah anymore. No, no they don't. Um, but Beulah land is um, used in a lot of hymns. And again, this is where um, I feel Fred is using this language because it comes from his background on earth. Yeah. It's used in a lot of hymns to well, really represent from what I could understand the promised land or a land where, um, you know, God's kingdom is more present. But yes, but it was almost a... The, the, if I look in his Yeah, eye. in the Bible there is this uh, implication, I suppose you could call it, that whenever it refers to the Beulah land, it's referring to a place that's in between. Yep. So it's not yet fully heaven, but it's not the hells or the, or the lower spheres of the spirit world. It's an area that's in between. And yes. so it's in between both locations and much better than what we experience on earth, of course, yep. and much better than what's experienced in the lower spheres, but... but but it's not yet heaven. Not yet heaven. Not yet the celestial heavens. And isn't it a reference to um, a people coming to Jerusalem and Beulah is seen to be... Well, it was actually... Hef- it was a physical location on Earth. Hephzibah. Yes, yeah. it was a physical location on Earth that uh, people... F- so when they started to see the signs of the promised land... Yes. In the, uh, it's a referring to some things in the Old Testament where... They started to see the signs of the promised land and one of these countries or locations, I suppose you would call it because it's not very large, was called Beulah, a vista, a uh-huh. vista of the land. Uh-huh. So it's more a vista of the land rather than, so it's a halfway place, a vista of the land rather than the actual land itself. Yes, mm. yes, Zion's new name. So Zion being the home, the home of the Jewish people, the yes. name that they use yes. for their and it for was their there, and land. it was them seeing seeing the signs of it for the first time. Okay, the Beulah Land is that link between being outside of the Promised Land and inside of it, and inside of it. And Beulah actually means marriage, yeah. which then makes sense. Makes sense, yeah. So it's this link, yeah. and so this chapter is called Beulah Land, yes. and. That's obviously referencing this place that Fred comes to see in the distance. Yes, because remember, he's not seeing heaven yet. No. He's just seeing the linkage between the second sphere. So he's, he's traversed enough to get to where my anine is, yep. but he's still not seeing heaven yet. He's not, not made that final transition, if yep. you like, yep. into becoming at one with God. So he can't go there. Yep. And he's, he's not even in a condition where he can go beyond the second sphere. So... So without the help of my his energy or love. Yeah. And so he's just seeing a vista of what's ahead of him. Yes. Yeah. And the person asked if this was a transition between the sixth and the seventh sphere, and I don't feel no. it's even that progressed. No, no it's, it's not it's, even that progressed. Yeah. No, yeah. it's much less yeah. than that, yeah. which gives you a wonderful idea for the listeners of yeah. how wonderful it is. Of how wonderful even the second sphere is. Like, <laughs> like we keep saying to people, the second yeah. sphere is much better than anybody here on earth probably can probably even imagine in terms of its beauty. Yeah. And so, um, of course, the higher spheres are even greater in their beauty. Yeah. And, and that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so they look upon this wonderful thing. Mm-hmm. Um, they're at the limit of the energy that Mahanin can give to Frederick. Yeah. And he suddenly becomes overpowered and bewildered really it's like okay that's enough please just take me back now and I suppose that was another point that we talked about was the fact that when we are in the presence of 
love, it can be very overwhelming and challenging. Yeah, yeah Often very much so. we have the false belief that it's all just going to be doves and fairies and yeah. sparklers yeah. and just this wonderful feeling. <laughs> Probably not many people think of fairies and sparklers. But <laughs> <laughs> well, I think most people believe on earth, don't they, that love means somebody meeting all of the all of your desires and wants but and that you feel completely comfortable because all that's happening correct and that's not the case at no. all because that that's really addiction yep. that's really codependency true love is not like that at all every single thing inside of you that's out of harmony with it will be overwhelmed mm-hmm. every single single thing inside of you that is in harmony with it will probably be, be overwhelming as well in the sense of you want to cry about all that yes. and if you don't allow the flow of emotions you're not going to be able to bear it in fact and for most people who are lifted from, say, the first sphere even into the second sphere, their immediate response is just copious amounts of tears. Yeah. Um, even if it's a temporary lifting through the help, as as mine has done here with Frederick. So, so usually it's just a copious amount of tears because they're just so overwhelmed emotionally, both with joy but also with the contrast between their own sorrow and the joy they're experiencing is yeah. so great. And so quite frequently we're going to, when we're in the presence of love, we're not going to feel some kind of magic sensations that are all based around having all of our addictions met. In mm-hmm. fact, we're going to feel oftentimes quite the opposite. Yeah. And this is where people on earth get really confused because they're so used to having all of their addictions met that they see that as loving. And so when we're, they're with a person who doesn't meet their addictions anymore, they just they can't see it as anything as else in, other than unloving. Yeah. Yeah, it's just sad. And also I think we have become so uncomfortable with the feelings of being overwhelmed by any emotion yeah. that we feel that that's displeasurable. Yeah. And that comfort and not being overwhelmed and staying safe or avoiding fear, that's what we perceive as happiness and pleasure. Yeah. And actually... That's not how we feel when we live in our soul. When no. we live in our soul, overwhelm is beautiful. Yes. Um, and staying safe and living in fear feels very restrictive, yucky and uncomfortable. Yes. Yeah. And it doesn't feel like you're experiencing anything. Because you're not. Because you're not really, no. Because no. your fear is limiting your experience. Yeah. But every time you allow the emotional overwhelm occurring, you're now allowing this connection with your soul and allowing the flow of feelings to flow through you and there's a power in that every time yeah yeah so that i feel a lot of people we've become so detuned from that on earth that we then think of that as being too overwhelming yeah. and and even fred felt the that same emotion here yeah where he just felt like it was too overwhelmed <laughs> i i gotta go back to where we where did you bring me from i've got to go back there i can't handle this anymore <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah even though it feels good it's just sometimes can feel too good yeah and this is why you know every location in the spirit world is purposefully created by god to to specifically meet the the condition of the individual so that the individual is most comfortable in that place Mm -hmm. without meeting their addictions without meeting their addictions yeah 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 Yeah. okay so really lovely chapter isn't it it's a lovely chapter Mm. I actually have quite a few questions here for people if they would like to um, sure. engage in some personal reflection about some of those points that we raised. So mm-hmm. I'll just run through them. Yeah, yeah, sounds good. So the first thing that we discussed today was about the earthly responses to success. Yep. Uh, so the homework is consider how we usually respond on earth to the success of others. Yeah. 
what are the injured ways that you observe yourself and others responding to other people progressing? Mm-hmm. And reflect, well, reflect on the injury, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The second major thing or theme, I suppose, that we've been talking about is about aspiration yes. and progression. So the homework is notice what examples of love and truth you see around you right now. Mm-hmm. Are you allowing these things to help your faith and hope to grow? Are there examples in your past, and perhaps these are not in relation to spiritual progress, but other pursuits, but there were instances where an example was shown to you or you witnessed some potential in others or your environment and it inspired you to grow, change or develop a skill? Mm. Because this is the sort of thing that we have to engage again as Mm. we're growing spiritually. Mm-hmm. Next point about aspiration. Mahanin said, look as far as possible along the pathway of your future unfoldment. And the question f- questions for listeners are, do you do this in regards to your spiritual growth? So do you look as far ahead as you can imagine or as you can see others? And if you do, how does it make you feel? Mm. And if you don't, why don't you? Mm. What emotions are you avoiding by not doing it or are you trying to prevent? Mm. Mm. Uh, The third major theme we talked about was about differences and opinions. So in the spirit world, differences in individuals and differing opinions are encouraged and embraced. The key factors that are respected there are the issues of laws that are governed by love. Mm. So opinions are okay and they're encouraged, but they're not confused with truth. Mm. So consider these facts and contrast how life on earth and situations in your life differ from this reality. How open are you to having other to others having opinions that are different to your own? How much do you confuse opinions with truth? Mm. Consider how experiences in your childhood may have made you feel that your parents' opinions were the truth. Mm. Reflect on how many of your parents' personal opinions you are still accepting as truth in your everyday life. Mm. Because we have the opportunity to contrast what we believe to be true in our childhood with what we now know about God's truth. Mm. And there'll be emotions that we're holding on to that are preventing us from accepting God's truth. Mm. But it's important to discover what are these things. Yeah, I feel you could also add to that, you know, what do you feel about mistakes? You know, what, how do you feel about making mistakes? How do you feel when others make mistakes? Do you belittle the mistakes of others, uh, denigrate them, pull them down, humiliate them? Or do you just see making mistakes as a, as a part of life, a part of seeing where your opinion is not in harmony with God's opinion? Yeah, yeah, great. Mm. And the final thing that we talked about was the differences in condition of love can create discomfort in our lives. Mm. And so how open are you to experiencing discomfort that, that acting in harmony with love or being around someone who's loving and truthful might bring up? And that's something important for people who are coming to our assistance groups mm. in a couple of months to consider, okay, 
maybe everything I associate with good and comfortable is about meeting my addictions. Mm -hmm. So if I'm going to grow in love and receive truth, it's going to confront some of those things and it might feel a little bit uncomfortable and overwhelming, mm. but that can be a part of our growth. We could also ask too, how addicted are you to maintaining your comfort levels? Because remember, most of your comfort levels are really all about your addictions. So, and, and many times what you believe is love is not really love at all, but really, really just somebody meeting your addictions. And whenever somebody doesn't meet your addictions, how do you feel? Are you then loving? Mm -hmm. <laughs> For most people, they are no longer loving when somebody else doesn't meet their addictions. Yeah, mm. yeah, very good. Yeah. Thank you so much. I've so loved our conversation today. Yeah, no, it's today. a great conversation yeah. and it's a great chapter, isn't it? It's a great chapter and I hope other people have felt some benefit from what we talked about. Yeah, yeah. so thank you for your time today. Thanks, everyone.